0: We are exploited. We are denied not only civil rights, I'm but even human rights. You want first place, do play with me. You want second place, go somewhere else.
1: Let us sing forever. Let us play forever. Six, 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 six,
0: six, six. Wake your ass up. Awaken the beast inside. Ways, welcome back to the realest podcast in the world i'm osama i'm muhammad and we are ways so today if i sound tired it's because i'm fasting so to all the muslims out there ramadan kareem ramadan mubarak mo are you fasting of course ramadan kareem as well To yeah, all the muslims. good man <laughs> anyway so we have a topic for you guys mo just tell them what the topic is about tell them our amazing guest today as always anytime we have a guest on it's always cool to hear the perspective their story and as far as the narrative what made them who they are and the cool thing about it right now i'm at school and with that you meet a lot of students very diverse as far as where they come from their background and what they're trying to achieve within the four years during the undergrad one person i met since last semester has stuck out like a (laughs) thumb uh she's very enthusiastic very courageous very um Knowledgeable and just interesting as far as who she is, her personality, and what she brings to the table. And plus, how giving and like how caregiving she is as helping people with assignments, questions, and answers about any subjects pertaining to the course material. And I'm super happy, ecstatic to have her on today because she's been waiting to come on and she has a lot to say. Just like anyone else, she has a story. And with that, we are very happy. And excited to have on Justine. Welcome to the podcast and let everyone know where they can follow you.
1: Thank you. Thank you guys so much for uh, inviting me onto the podcast. So, yeah, as most said, my name is Justine. You can follow me on Instagram at OceanBeing111, a uh, very um, subtle Instagram name. Um, but yeah, as most said, very down to earth person. I'm just trying to, um, you know, uh, spread peace in a world full of hate that's my mission and i'm really excited to talk to you guys today
0: now the first question i have for you is i met you roughly six months ago right i didn't know you from the time you grew up until now so my idea of you is this person that's on a path of change of excellency of just trying to create a pathway for others to follow but the question that remains is who is the old Justine? Who is the Justine that myself, Osama, and the world didn't know? Was it a Justine that made you happy? Was it Justine that because of the habits and lifestyle you chose, you're like, you know what, this is not for me. I have to make a change. Who was the old Justine? Tell us.
1: Okay, well, um, I was born in Trinidad and Tobago. I lived there until I was about 10 years old, and life there was pretty straightforward, um, very um, very religious. I had a very big community and that community consisted of um sorry, consisted of my aunts and uncles, you know, very family oriented, very traditional. And I came to Western <laughs> culture, Western society, and things were very, very different. You know, I've never really been in a place before where I've had so much freedom and there were so many different concepts to me that I had never ever seen before. And I think I felt like an outsider when I first came to my first elementary school here, you know, because, oh, there's kids with like pale skin. I've never seen that before in my life. You know, all I've known are people who are like dark like me or darker than me. Um, And I felt like very insecure because it was like, oh, the standard of beauty is girls with pale skin, girls with like blonde hair, blue eyes. So in terms of that, I did feel like an outsider. And I didn't think I really fit in until probably, like, seventh grade. And, you know, I kind of just stopped really you know, talking to my parents about what I was feeling. And as a kid, I was very, very sad because it's like I was taken away from my home, my culture, my people. I was stripped of that. And I was growing up in this world, in this new place, without a map or without someone being, like, over my shoulder constantly like don't do that like this is a bad decision that you're making and um yeah I felt very alone I was lucky to have a few friends along the way who are still my friends today and they really like kind of understood that what I was going through and tried to help me make good decisions at the time you know back then I was like no, you don't understand me and then you know I got to high school and I think high school is where everything changed I think it does for a lot of people who are either in my experience or uh, something similar where it's like, it's like this whole new world where guys are paying attention to you. Uh, girls want to be your friends. Like it's, it's a lot of people can get blown away by it. And I think for me, I got taken off in the whole world of like doing drugs with people, which kind of brings me into some of the things that we're going to talk about later on. But um, definitely the drug scene is something very easy that a lot of people fall into because I myself have fallen into that. And it's been like almost six months since I've been clean. And I, I that's my way of life now. You know, it's like, oh, I, I've spent so much time in my life doing these things that I didn't know what life sober was like. I've completely forgotten a time in my life where I could just go outside and like take in the beauty of the outside world without feeling like an alien, like on, on planet Earth, pretty much. But um, that lifestyle, when you live that in high school, you know, you think it's all fun. Like, oh yeah, you know, everyone does this. And then once you come out of that lifestyle, you start realizing, wait, like this is actually not normal. Like, you're not supposed to be smoking weed at 10 in the morning, or you're not supposed to be drinking every day or vaping and stuff like that. It's normalized, but it's actually not normal. Um, And I think that was my mindset for probably the last uh, four years. And then, like, breaking out of that mindset was probably one of the hardest things I've had to do. But in terms of my relationships and my schoolwork, obviously, it was not the best. Uh, There were decisions and choices that I made that um, hurt my family, hurt my friends. It hurt me, like... I, I'm honestly surprised when I, like, stand here and, like, I tell my story because I didn't think that I would be alive, like, four years ago, you know, because I've been in the hospital many times because of drugs or, like, overdosing and stuff like that. And I'm very lucky that someone in heaven, like, said, okay, no, like, she, she has a purpose. She needs to live. She needs to continue to live because that's honestly the entire reason that I'm here. But, um, yeah, definitely the last four years have been a battle And then coming to um, university has been my fresh start. Because I can be a whole new person and I can build my future and who I want to be.
0: Thank you for sharing that with us. I guess the next question I have for you is, during those times that struggle, those moments when you're drowning and you felt as if no one was there for you, you said that you let your friends, your family down. In that moment of isolation, in that moment of just being so gray and that state of mind, was there anyone you you turned to that could actually help you as far as advice, just companionship, just to like, you know, go for a walk or just do something to uplift your spirit? Was there anyone during that time within those four years that you could reach out to just to feel a sense of peace and security?
1: Um, so I would say I would reach out to my friends, but you know, in the moment they would offer me, you know, some some help, but in the long run, these friends didn't actually want my best interests at heart it was people were very selfish and it's like oh whatever i can give you then you know you're gonna help me and to be honest i was completely alone and i didn't have that and if i felt like that i would solve my problem by like smoking weed or drinking or doing something so i don't have to feel like that you know so i can i can feel better for a short period of time but then i realized oh wait it's just like this cycle of like i feel sad so i'm gonna do this and feel better it's a cycle that people easily fall into and I understand how people get addicted now but I would say when I went to a Catholic high school in my grade 11th year because I I had gone to an art school my mom took me out of the art school because she kind of saw that that was a little bit what was fueling my drug problem but then they put me in a, a Catholic high school that was very close to where we lived so you know she could kind of supervise me some more and then I would say there I had more of a community and I was someone who, you know, I grew up religious and when I came to Western society, I, I didn't believe in God anymore. Um, but I was like, oh, like, I think all these other religions are cool. Like I'm reading about all these other religions, but I don't think I believe in God. But then I came to this Catholic school. And it was, I'm not going to say the name of the Catholic school, but the main person that they would worship at the school was Michael, the archangel. So sometimes when I would feel down, even though I wasn't religious, so to speak, at that time, I would, you know, in my moments of struggle, I would pray out to to Michael, the archangel, and I would feel somewhat better.
0: Now, obviously... High school experience is very different for every kind of person, but at the same time, there's certain patterns that reoccurs, and you see this interpretations, whether it's through movies, TV shows, music videos, and songs. Now, the biggest show arguably right now on the planet, at least in North America, especially for the teen audience, is Euphoria. And the whole argument about Euphoria is the fact that, is it being over-dramatical as far as high school experience pertaining to cliches? Or is it giving a bad representation of the scenarios that people go through and just highlighting it, just exposing it to make it appear as it, it's a fantasy. It's a real-life, fun, celebratory kind of initiative. What do you see when you watch Euphoria? Does it make you feel angry that you guys are over-centralizing this uh, experience that myself and other people have to go through? Or are they actually doing a good job at letting you know what comes with stepping into these boundaries that could for change that could change your life forever
1: yeah so um i uh do watch you for yeah and what's interesting is i watched it at a time where i was going through my drug addiction and at a time where i'm like completely clean completely sober so i would say that majority of uh, people in high school a good population of them probably do drugs right that is the reality for most high schools and I would say, well, I'm speaking from my personal experience, that the people might have different experiences and encounters with drugs. But I would say it does do a good job at capturing just what that world is and what that lifestyle is. But I think that it would be better for you to focus a little bit more on like the other people that go to the school. Because there are other people who go to high schools that don't condone these things, have never touched drugs. But aside from that, you know, Yeah, the lifestyle is shown as glamorous, as fun, as bougie, you know, you see all these actors and they're going around, they're going partying, they're having sex, no, no repercussions. But what people don't pay attention to is, okay, but look at the relationships with Rue and her mother, or look at the relationships with Rue, sorry, not Rue, Cassie and her family. Like that, that's everything that you're losing, all the relationships that are being strained because of the joy of the drug choices, of the lifestyle choices. Like it's very damaging, and I think you know, with Rue particularly in the series, they do they do do a good job at showing what happens to you know girls or even people who get in this lifestyle, but girls in particular can I mean, be dangerous. There's theories about um, sex trafficking in that show, you know, when Rue gets the suitcase and everything. So um, I think the main problem with the show, though, is that they glamorize it too much, and I think the message doesn't get reciprocated to the audience you know most viewers they look at that they put on their uh, fancy makeup and everything they dress up like the actors and everything but they don't actually understand okay what is this show trying to tell me about the lifestyle that these people live about the choices that they make about oh how damaging this is to them and to their family
0: you're right definitely right and i think that the number one fact that hollywood den- tends to glamorize a lot of things does blind the audience eyes as to what the real message is and how to interpret it to obviously learn what to take away from it as opposed to trying it on and making your lifestyle worse the next thing i want to ask you about is something that i don't think we've ever talked about on the podcast really and it's the topic about birth control because birth control is something that a lot of people especially obviously a lot of young girls get introduced to especially in high school and the way they get introduced to it is very informal it's not like you learn about it in sex class whether grade 10 or 11 or 12 um, what to do with it what not to do with it because obviously a lot of girls don't really take gym class uh in later years of high school but can you tell us at least from your experience of what you've seen or what you heard about the idea of birth control like how does young girls get introduced to it what does it mean as far as the values is it something that every girl feels as if they should have and is there any side effects is there any negative traumatic idealistic things that comes with being on birth control
1: yeah so absolutely now i first off i just want to say that it's it really means so much to me that you guys can you know share this on your podcast because in truth i think You know, women who listen to this, girls who listen to this, wherever in the world they might be, you might actually really, really be helping them from a lifestyle of pain of just it's it's horrible. So birth control is something I can talk about for hours, but I will keep it short for the sake of other topics on the podcast. But um, yeah, so basically I have endometriosis. So I'm a little bit different than other women, which means that the tissues that line my uterus grow on the outside so it makes it harder to get pregnant and stuff like that. And my mother also has endometriosis. You know, I'm pretty much a miracle that I'm here today because they told her that she couldn't have kids. So with endometriosis comes very painful periods, may come um, irregular. So I was prescribed birth control um, right after I got my first period. And I got it very late. I was about 16. So in high school, I was prescribed birth control by my doctor. She was like, oh, um, This will help regulate your period so you can keep track of it. You can know when it's going to come every month. So I was like, okay. And sometimes doctors also prescribe it to to girls when they go through puberty, they start breaking out for acne and stuff like that, right? So I, I got the birth control pill. The first thing that I noticed that made me feel very uncomfortable was just how big the pamphlet is. It's like a scroll this long, like very long, and it's, All that's written on is just all the side effects. So at first I was like, okay, like a little overwhelmed by everything. And then they were like, make sure you don't miss a day. And if you miss a day, take two on the same day to make up for it. So I was like, okay. And I started taking birth control and I realized, wait, it's been like two months. This thing hasn't regulated my period. So, you know, I call my doctor. She's like, oh, it takes a little while to get effective. So I'm like, okay. And... It never did it was just inconsistent and if anything it caused me more pain actually i had um really really horrible cramps but i've heard stories from multiple women you know because it's like i can't make claims like this because this is my body so i need to go out and ask other women if they've experienced the same thing you know everyone has a different body that works in different ways and pretty much 95% of my girlfriends were taking birth control or they had either stopped it because it was so horrible. So, you know, I, I talked to some girls and were like, Oh, well, actually after I stopped taking birth control, I developed PCOS or after, or when I was taking birth control, I got super depressed or this happened. And it, it's, it's overwhelming the changes that goes through your body. And it's like, Oh wait, these are just given out to girls like pamphlets. Like it's the only solution. Like, Doctors don't be like, okay, yeah, go live a healthy lifestyle, eat this, go on a diet, work out. Because, you know, back when women didn't have medicine and stuff, what do you think they did? They probably ate healthy food and worked out and had to work and take care of children and stuff like that, you know, they probably didn't have birth control, but I'm getting off topic here a little bit. But yeah, you know, so many girls I've talked to, they're like, birth control was absolutely horrible. It destroyed my body and I'm never going back on it. And some girls were taking it so they could prevent pregnancy. And they were like, honestly, like, I think I'm just better off, you know, either not engaging in intercourse or using different types of contraception. And the biggest thing about birth control that I don't think people know. And if they know, it would be shocked. Because the first time that I found this out, I was tremendously shocked. And there are many articles that you can find online. But birth control actually changes the type of men that you are attracted to when you take the pill and there's the story of this woman who i think she, she was married and she started taking birth control and she was no longer attracted to her husband anymore uh, they found out that women are more likely attracted to weaker men and i think that was definitely the shocker because if that is a thing like That is very, very serious. If women are taking birth control and, oh, wait, the men that they're attracted to on birth control aren't actually, like, what they like and stuff, like, that's a serious problem. Because it's changing, like, your sense of attraction, your hormones and stuff like that to a serious, serious level to affect who you like. And then the last thing that I would have to say about birth control is... um, just because doctors are, you know, backed by science and they have they've gone to medical school and everything does not always mean that they know everything. OK, like like every other realm or every other, um, you know, field, things are always changing. Things are always evolving. But medicine in particularly those uh, companies are backed by CEOs who have a lot of money and those same companies go to doctors and they're like, OK, you need to give out this birth control uh, to this many people or, you know, sell as much as you can. So they don't even care. Like, as long as a girl is in front of me and they probably don't really need the birth control, at least maybe not for a couple of years. Oh, whatever. Here you go. Take some birth control, you know, because they're getting backed by these major corporations. They get the money at the end of the day, right? Money that they go and they probably buy a nice yacht or boat or something. Who, who knows? But it's a very, very... Selfish in that sense, and if you're oblivious to that, man, I, I honestly, I don't know what to say. But yeah, I think the honest advice that I can give to girls. Pardon? Yeah, the honest advice like that I can give to girls though is. Uh, I would prolong using birth control as long as possible um, to just you know, try to live a healthier lifestyle, go to the gym, work out and stuff like that. Um, birth control it should be used as a last resort. Um, in terms of contraception, there are, there are other things that you can use and look into like condoms and stuff like that. But Definitely be weary of birth control. You know, I I would say, or a lot of people, or people in my life, tell me that I kind of remind them of the prodigal son. And now I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that story, but the but to summarize, um, the prodigal son basically his father gave him all this money, and so there were two sons, and the father gave one of both of his sons money, and one of the sons, you know, he went he spent it on prostitutes, stuff like that, and the other son worked very very hard on the land you know looking after the cattle and so on and the the son that spent all his money when he realized that he was broke and growing hungry he was like oh I've sinned against my father so he returned home and the father put like a ring on his finger and a robe and got like the biggest um the biggest cow to slaughter to have a feast because his son had returned home but all the time here is the other son who's been working so hard on the field and, you know, he comes to the father and says, you know, you spent all your money. You don't do this for me. And then the father goes, everything I have is yours. So I think that the reason why I I am still alive today is because God up there has a mission for me down here on earth to help as many people as I can, to reach as many people as I can, because the only thing that saved me was, honestly, in all truth, Jesus. I would not be here if it was not for Jesus. The, I, have, I give thanks every day because the reason I wake up every morning is because Jesus said I need to live because I have things that I need to do on this earth. My mission isn't finished. And like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I need to spread as much peace as I can and Fill this world with love because there's so much hate, there's so much war, there's so much envy, and there's so much ugliness. And if one person, just one person, being here, being like, I understand, I get it. Make the mistakes, keep making the mistakes, but one day you will learn from them, and one day you will be on the same mission that I am on. Yeah, when I was in grade 11 and 12, I did not picture myself being... So religious because in grade eleven and twelve I was doing tarot cards and reading the Satanic Bible. Now I wasn't a Satanist. I just was trying to educate myself on all the different beliefs and religions and stuff like that. You know, I kind of went through a phase of, of all that stuff. But um, you know, for a very long time I thought I thought oh like Satanism it it doesn't really seem that bad. But then I realized oh wait it's individualism. It's the worship of the self, and I saw the problems with that. It's a whole other tangent I could go on, but. To answer your question, um, I think I definitely, I had a conversion moment pretty much um, where I went to the Fatima Shrine and Fatima is known as um, uh, the Holy Mother of God, so the Virgin Mary in my faith because I'm Catholic and that is truly when I realized, oh my God, like God is real because there was a tightness in my throat. I couldn't speak at all. You know, my hands were sweating. I, I was uncontrollably crying. And I think that was the moment I was like, yeah, like God is definitely real. Like I feel so passionately about being here at this shrine, appreciating the mother of God. And then I started my journey of, um, you know, becoming a Catholic. So on Holy, Holy Easter, actually, Holy Saturday, I actually get confirmed into the Catholic church. So that means the priest is basically, he's going to bless me and I will be like official, official, like Catholic in the Catholic church. So I'm really excited for that. But it's definitely been a battle the last 40 days with Lent. Um, Jesus is, you know, my savior, but the devil is trying to test me and scare me off path, but I will not let it happen. Um, But to me, Jesus is my best friend, like above all, like, Every day, I'm like, it's not just me starting the day. It's me and Jesus. Like, he's right here, and he's my best friend. So, yeah, he means a lot to me.
0: I wonder if this is the happiest you've ever been in your life, talking about how you grew up being sad at certain times during your childhood and then everything you had to go through in high school. So, as far as that transformation leading up to the person you are now and how excited you are every morning on that pathway to greatness, is this the happiest you've ever been In your life so far?
1: Um, Definitely I will say it is the happiest I've been in my life so far. Um, There are some times though where I wake up and I'm like oh I feel a little down today a little low energy but that's okay it's totally normal to feel like that even when you're at your happiness because that's a normal like human human emotion, human reaction, human feeling and sometimes it's simply because oh it's raining outside or it's super cold or the Sun isn't shining. Truly I think in summer well, you know when the sun is shining and people can go outside and everyone's outside is really, really like the time where I would just be able to blossom because right now um, I am happy, but I feel like because of school a little bit I'm out of at a creative block because I am an artist and you know art is my my whole world basically. Um, so right now I'm kind of at a creative block and I just need to get out of that. But I think the cure to that is just summer and taking a little break from school. But other than that, yeah, I'm very happy. um There's people in my life that I never imagined I would have in my life. A lifestyle that I never thought I would be living because, to Justine in high school, you know, four years ago, this lifestyle was something that I was like, "Ew, like that can never be me." Like it's it's very interesting to be on both sides of the spectrum now.
0: The next thing I want to talk about is materialism, and materialism. Kind of replaces faith in a sense because you're taking your beliefs, your conviction, and your submission in God, a higher power, a collective system, which is derived of any religion they believe in, and you're placing it in items. Items in any manifestation, items that have no timeline as far as uh, equitable value down the road, items that don't mean anything in the long run because they eventually fade or decay but we live in society where materialism is such a beautiful thing in a secular society. What do you think about materialism? Were you a materialistic person growing up? Then you had a change? Or you always viewed materialism to be a bad thing? What do you think about it?
1: Um, I think that's something that's always stuck with me since I was a kid. But I've never been a materialistic person. I think... Um, is it How I like to draw the line is, yes, I can own nice things and find nice things. But the, the thing that draws the line is, what value do I actually put in these things? What meaning? I don't hold it on a higher standard or anything like that, you know? Like, you know, this ring right here, it's simply just a ring. If I toss it, it's gone. I don't care about it, right? What's more important to me are the, va- the values that I have, my, what I believe in, my beliefs, my morality my family, my faith, um, Christ. Those are the things that I believe in because when all the materials are gone, which, you know, they can be gone in a second, house fire, anything, anything at all. When all those things are gone, what what do you have to believe in? And the answer is nothing. There's nothing there. But the things that last is the beliefs that you have, the, the your values, the memories that you have, your family who's been there since day one, and Christ, because in my faith, Christ is everlasting. Or, or in any simple, in any religion, you automatically have a community that it's like we're coming together to worship whoever it is that you know other religions worship. But we're coming together to worship this thing or this person or or these gods, and these gods are everlasting, so to speak. Because when all those materials are gone, when no one doesn't have the the latest gadget to show off there's there's this nothingness inside of them you know it's like well that's my my entire identity and now that's gone i don't know who i am but people who are actually rooted in something firm like a firm recognized religion so to speak right they're like oh i know what i believe in i know who i am because this is my these are my beliefs these are my memories this is my religion my religion makes up me and who i am Therefore, this is my identity. And I see this a lot with, uh, I like to call it the new world religion to go along with the new world order. But like the whole like, oh, magic crystals and tarot cards and spirituality, you know, and I see girls preaching this all over their Instagrams and stuff like that. And it's like, wow, these people aren't spiritual at all when they're the most materialistic people ever, like ever, like you ask that same girl, okay can I take away your iPhone, your iPad, your all the stuff, they probably have a heart attack. Because with, they don't know who they are without those things. You take away their Instagram, they're like, oh, I don't know who I am. Like there, there's nothing behind that curtain.
0: You guys thought we were done? I don't think so. We still gotta wrap it up. Please follow me at Kusa300. Follow my co-host Muhammad at Global. Make sure to follow our page on Instagram. Also, make sure to subscribe to all our platforms. We drop every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Thank you. We'll see you next week.